All right, we're back for yet another exciting edition of uh, Pointless Exercise. That We have a two-man, well, it's not a booth, but pretend it's a booth. Uh, it's me and Kyle. Kyle, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. Doing good, Andy. Thank you. Good to be here. Proud uh, proud YouTube TV subscriber, but non-marquee network haver over here on this end. Do you get, uh, do you get your internet from WOW? <laughs> because I, I if you not. did, you would, you would have marquee now, because they were the most recent... <laughs> Apparently, they must have like eight cable subscribers in Chicago too. But yeah, he was very excited about that. They signed that deal today, that, probably that's a, that's on a, a, a napkin at a hot dog stand. <laughs> that, that's a big one. Get the get the Wow Network cornered, and you're you're all the way in right away. So, yeah, unfortunately, you were not able to watch the uh, the debut. I have Directv, and I was one of the fortunate few, apparently, mm-hmm. who at one o'clock on. Saturday, just when it was supposed to, it actually at like twelve forty-five, I got this. I went to channel six sixty-four. I was so disappointed. They they clearly had their choice between six sixty-four and six sixty-six because um, NBC Sports Chicago is six sixty-five, mm-hmm. and they really should have just picked. They should have gone all in and picked six sixty-six, but they didn't. They they took the other one. I uh, coming soon. The marquee logo popped up. And then at one o'clock, there was uh, Bill Murray wandering through traffic, naturally, uh, to talk about. Uh, he made fun of the name of the network, which I enjoyed, and then he somehow pronounced Mark DeRosa wrong. Um, what, how did he pronounce it? What did he say? I, I saw DeRosa, like my, like my, DeRosa. Mike Sosha. He called him DeRosa. Interesting, funny. And he could only remember like three guys that were on Marquee. One of them was Chris Myers, and he remembered that because he apparently got Chris his job. By telling the new general manager of Marquee that, um, you know, hey, you're probably going to need another play-by-play guy. You got to hire Chris Myers. So they did. That works. Then we got then the first like Cub-affiliated person that we had to see, of course, was Ryan Dempster. Obviously, they're just going to shove that down our throat. Cubs but legend. I have uh, I have a friend. Her and her husband live um, basically. Um, well, I can I can throw things in their yard from my yard if I wanted to. She DirecTV subscriber, same package that I have. She was she'd ask me a million questions in the run up to it. Is do I need to do anything? Is it just going to be on? And I said no. I said it's um, it's a regional sports network. But if you get NBC Sports Chicago and you're in the market like we are, it it should just come on. Mm-hmm. And of course, hers didn't, and Good. didn't until yesterday. I think oh, it God. finally came on. Uh, and there were a shitload of DirecTV subscribers who were supposed to get it. And then they would call, and DirecTV, when I, I've been subscribing, or I've been, I've had DirecTV since 1998. And, and like, God, I've lived, what, five different places. I've had it every place I've been. It used to be their, their customer service was amazing. They were the best. If you had a problem, you called DirecTV. They either fixed it on the phone or they immediately scheduled somebody to come out and fix it. And then AT&T bought them, I don't know, a year, two years ago maybe, two and a half years ago. And their customer service is shit. It's the worst. It literally went from the best to the worst. So she's on the phone with somebody who is clearly not on the continent. You know, they farmed it out to India or some call center. And... Her favorite answer of the thing she got was, "Oh no, no, you're not supposed to get it. You're in the white. You're in the White Sox territory." 
So she's like, I did everything she could to like be calm and said, okay, that's not a thing. The Cubs and White Sox have the exact same territory. Yeah. So that's not it. And uh, I forget there were other, um, Evan Altman was also like tweeting. I did see that. Things and, and just the ridiculous, just how clueless, um, like somebody, one of the customer service reps said, well, no, that, that network didn't start today. And they're like, well, it did. And I've got like, my neighbor is watching it right now. And they might as well say, just go over to his house and watch it over there. Um, now that stuff is really not, can't, can't really blame Marquee for that. Right. They work out the deals. It's up to DirecTV to get their shit together. And one ridiculous thing is that they only have, well, now they have, wow, I guess they have five carriers who are not online only. And on Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus. Uh, just, they're not ready yet. No, not yet. <laughs> oh, I know we told you that, you know, you signed up because we were going to start on Saturday. Yeah. yeah uh, it'll be, a, it'll be a few days or a right. week or two weeks. Or of course. Maybe, but I mean, that's the thing with like, I mean, I'm sure they'll get the YouTube TV thing figured out, but if they don't like people like me, you literally just switch to Hulu. It's the exact same price, exact same product, exact same lineup of channels. Like, <laughs> I mean, assuming they actually get the network delivered to the people that they get contracts with to deliver it to. So the the two biggest providers that they have um, contracts with, DirecTV and Charter, neither one of them are set up yet to uh, authenticate so that you can watch Marquee online or watch it through the app. Oh, yeah, of course. So, um, but that's that's what Reddit... Uh, MLB streams is for. Yep, exactly. And I actually did catch the first. Uh, I think I caught the first two innings, or inning and a half, I guess, of uh, Saturday's game via our friends at Reddit. So, um, not that Marquis could do anything about it, but it's good to see that uh, they did not find any sort of workaround to the the back door of the internet with the free Reddit streams. No, the Reddit streams takes it right off of uh, MLB um, TV. Yeah, it's the yeah. You know, and you can tell because whenever they go to commercial, you get the you yep. get the logo. Yep. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm sure that if MLB really, really wanted to, they could stop that. And right. I think they kind of just pretend that it's not happening because it's it's the only workaround for their ridiculous. Like there can't be there can't be that many people who do it. No, proportionally no. That not they at feel all. like they're really losing. It's it's people motivated enough to want to get it that way. And basically, right. if if people could get it the other way, they probably would. Some people are doing because it it's free, but right. It makes it always makes me worry because I just feel like there's, you know, there's a Russian hacker crawling around my computer the entire time that I'm watching the game. Oh yeah, just it's opening sketchy. just opening a back door and going, all right, guys, come on in and steal yep. whatever you want. Um, but yeah, if they get off their ass and authenticate that, that'll be nice because last year. I couldn't I couldn't watch the L, the WLS or WGN games online. Okay. Um but I could but because you you know through NBC Sports Chicago if you're a sub- subscriber I could watch those. So sure, yeah. This year I wouldn't need to do that with any of them cuz they're all on marquee unless they're uh-huh. whatever, ESPN or Fox and yeah. Um so yeah, so the um the actual game coverage has been fine. I mean, it's Len, it's it's JD, it's it's other than the graphics being different, 
you wouldn't know that it's any different than what we've been watching. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a huge fan of the graphics. I don't understand why they use a weird silver background with black text. Um, I guess just to make it hard to read. Every other graphics thing in every sport has switched to dark with a white text. And at some point, they're going to. But I guess they just have to be wrong for a while. Um, but the other... It's, um, it's amazing to me that they launched this network with like no content. I just, it's, it's like it was a, somebody woke up on Saturday and went, oh shit, that's today. <laughs> what have we got? And they're like, okay, we've got a, we got an Ernie Banks documentary uh, that we can kill. We cram a lot of commercials in that. We can stretch it out to 90 minutes. Um, we've got our little preview show that we did. That's only an hour. We'll show that four times. And uh, we really don't have anything. Oh, we can show our YouTube clips. They have a whole show that's just stuff from their YouTube channel. Now that's quality programming. Stuff you've already seen or can go watch whenever you want. They're broadcasting it. And then the most infuriating thing they've shown so far was what on Saturday was billed as the... Even then it was ambiguous. It was the Cubs' top ten games. And it started off bad with the um, August 8th and 9th, 1988... Um, the, what should have been the first night game, and then what was the first night game? It's like okay, those that was that's a novelty that the the, the game neither game was terribly good, um, and the one got rained out. The most memorable thing was uh, Greg Maddox and Les Lancaster, and I think Al Nipper, bell, belly diving on uh, or sliding on their bellies across the wet tarp, and they all got fined for it. That was then, and then um. Number nine was the uh, the Kerry Wood twenty strikeout game. Naturally, so you're like, all right, well, that's you know, that's obviously that was a historic game. So oh, yeah. the next eight, these must be really good. Uh, you would think so. We were wrong. Um, the awful twenty three twenty two abomination of a game against the Phillies from the seventies. Whatever. So that one, and I guess I didn't. Yeah, from the seventies, but showing my age or I guess lack thereof, I had no idea the Cubs lost that game. They I not only did they lose, they never had a lead. I just always assumed they won. They got down you like, I think they got down eight nothing in the first. <laughs> and that's another one that that's not a great game. It's a novelty. So the show should be something different. And then there were some good ones. Obviously, the Sandberg game was in there. Uh, game five of the World Series was mm-hmm. in there. Um, but it just it seemed like we were heading towards. Uh, they they had a weird tease before a commercial before they got to number two, and um, when they came back, it was the fucking Bartman game, and it's like okay, how in the world is that game on this list? That was um, until yeah. the 2016 Cubs erased that, wiped that from our you know everyday memories. That was the worst possible moment of. Any Cub fan, well, in Cubs history, it, it's Absolutely. had to be that, you know, um, five outs away from the World Series and then disaster. Um, so now they, they're still showing it because they don't have any programming. So they're still showing the same eight things over and over and over again. Actually, eight's too many. Same four things over and over and over again. They've changed the description of it now. Now it's the um, top 10 games in Wrigley Field history. Ah, which well doesn't played. make it any better. 
No. It does make sense, though, why... Because everybody was sure that um, number one was going to be Game 7 of the World Series. Right. Um, actually, what, what wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah, well, then how does... Yeah, so right, even exactly. that doesn't make any... But yeah, now they've changed it to the top 10. Every game isn't really except for that one. <laughs> I guess they made an exception because they actually won the World Series. Um, so, th- so then we find out that it was a... It, that's not a marquee production, of course. Mm-hmm. MLB Network did a special a couple of years ago um, where they had fans vote. And apparently a bunch of Cardinal fans decided it would be hilarious to um, pump up the Bartman game. It probably won, and they just they kicked it down to number two. Mm-hmm. So that supposedly is the reason. Well, that's bullshit. Because just if... Do your own countdown then. Right. You know, Crane comes on um, later than when they actually show, when they finally have the game, which was delayed six hours. And the only reason they played it was because they didn't have anything else to show. So instead of just raining out the, the useless first game of the spring, they risked everybody's life and limb so they could kill, in effect, nine hours of programming because they showed it three times. Crane comes on, and one thing he's bragging about is one of the great things we've got is we've got the library, we've got all these classic games, so we can show you, um, we can show you games that Harry Carey called, we can show you games from Jack Brickhouse, you know, recent games that are great, blah 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 blah. It's like okay, well, if you got all the games, then you clearly have the ability to put your own countdown of the top ten together, and you could have given a couple of interns, you know, that assignment, and they could have done that. The other weird thing they're doing is the very first of their classic games that they're going to show, I think it's on Friday, maybe it's even tomorrow, is uh, Harry Carey's last game. Why? Harry didn't know it was his last game. It's not like there was a big, there's these tributes during the game to Harry. That's just a random September game with a terrible Cub team in 1997. Uh If you really do have all these other games... You know what would be a lot more exciting? How about Harry's first game with the Cubs? Yeah, there you go. Um, how about some of the games in night in '84 uh, when they when he'd been there for two years and they finally had a good team? I know they the Sandberg game was a NBC game, so they don't have a TV call of Harry doing that. Although a few years ago, WGN Radio played the whole thing. They played the whole radio call, and it was it's amazing. It was, um, it's for those of us who have the, I feel bad for, there's a whole, there's a whole generation or two now of Cub fans that they think Harry Carey sounds like Will Ferrell and Ryan Dempster, which is an abomination. But in 84, this was well before his stroke. Harry is still really good. And, um, so that the call of the Samber game is, him and Lou Boudreau for all nine innings. Vince Lloyd is there for a few innings. And then Milo Hamilton stops in because, you know, God forbid Milo not be on the radio every day. Um, and they're amazing. It's it's amazing to hear Harry, like, on top of everything. And then he would get so pissed because the Cubs got way down in that game, too. Um, and he's just, you know, he, the Cardinals are in town. He hates the Cardinals. That was his old team. They fired him for uh, allegedly uh, uh, having an affair with the owner's wife. Um, right after the owner had uh, Harry run over by a trolley car in St. Louis, and Harry was doing games in a full body cast for a while. This is all true. Um, 
So there's a there's an edge to Harry that is really entertaining. And if they really do have those games, let's see some of those. I don't need Harry at the end in a terrible game at the end of a terrible season. Give me some, you know, give me some prime time. Right. Yeah. Um, The other thing they had is they, that Ernie Banks documentary. It's still, I don't understand it. That guy played 19 seasons for the Cubs. Um, He played until the seventies. And we always joke that the only highlight you ever see of Ernie is his 500th home run. Mm Mm-hmm. Honest to God, in that 90-minute documentary, there's only like four other highlights of him actually playing. And one of them is him striking out against the Mets in 69. There, One of them, he hits the ball, and you don't see where it goes. There's a couple of him, like, I think you actually do see him hit a home run against somebody else. But it's like, where? what happened to all the footage? This is, like, objectively the greatest player in team history who played at a time when WGM was showing all the games, did they never hit record ever? Did they, they, is it like the old, um, they always talked about how the tonight show, they couldn't show any of the uh, reruns of when Johnny's show was in New York because they, um, a bunch of them were on film and they didn't bother to keep them. And then the first ones that were on videotape, NBC taped over them. They used them for other shows. And it, it's all it, that has to be what WGN did, absolutely. Because otherwise, it's like you know, there's very little. You never see like Ernie in his prime. You only see old man Ernie with a big ass playing first base. And I thought for sure, okay, well, here's this 90 minute documentary, and no, you don't get any of that. Well, maybe they threw all the footage in the uh, in the dumpster outside Wrigley <laughs> with the Ron Santo card. It has to be where it is, <laughs> most likely. The one thing that made me laugh in the in the documentary was, um, they they Jeff Garland got to be one of the uh, experts. It just said Chicagoan, uh, but he said something that I I think I probably could sympathize with. He said he wasn't until he was a like an, in his early teens. He'd been a Cub fan since he was a little kid. That he realized, oh my god. The team I root for is terrible mm-hmm. and has always been terrible. Why is this my team? And he's like, by then it's too late. Yep. And that was kind of, you know, that was kind of a reality for me too. By the time you realized, oh God, why am I wasting my time on this team? You've wasted so much of your time that you just couldn't stop. Yeah, there's no turning back. <sighs> yeah. And then I, I enjoyed t- uh, oh. my, my uh, marquee launch day was spent at the bar scrolling Twitter, watching everyone freak out about it, yeah. which was potentially more entertaining than oh, I some had, of the it content. Was. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, we didn't need it. We don't need it. We talked about it in the last podcast that they, a much more sensible route would have been for them to have simply bigfooted their way at NBC Chicago and said, look, we're the most valuable of the four properties. Mm-hmm. You need to give us the biggest cut, and you guys, you three, can fight over whatever's left. And it probably would have been, um, well, I'm sure it would be, it would have been a better deal in the long run for the other three teams than them just being left alone on their own channel without the Cubs to draw eyeballs to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the Cubs are stuck with the, you know, 
a huge part of our fan base still can't see us. Right. And that's uh, that's not great. But at some point they'll be at some point Comcast will buy them. Um, this isn't going to be a Dodger situation where it never nope. happens. But Comcast is going to make them sweat, and then we can get down to worrying about other things. But for now, it's kind of fun. And so it's fun to pull up the guide and scroll through and see what they're what they're killing time with because it's a it's a mismatch of shit. Um, for the longest time, everybody assumed that the Cubs would take another team with them, most likely the Blackhawks, and the two would share the network, and, you know, there would only be an occasional overlap, you know, in the, especially with the way the Blackhawks are now, it would only be in the spring, because right. then their season would be over, and you wouldn't have to worry about it, but they didn't, and so they were stuck with having to program 24 hours by themselves, and by day, let's see, they started on Saturday, by Tuesday, by day four all of a sudden, random sporting events were popping up on Marquee. Um, at 6 o'clock last night, uh, for no reason, Dayton and George Mason were playing basketball on Marquee. And then tomorrow, there's a rerun of Georgetown and somebody, which is during the middle of the day. A game I'm sure is being played tonight. It's probably over. Um, tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning, there's a Derek Rose documentary. Oh, good. Makes perfect sense. There's some Red Bull. I don't know if it's the. Uh, I don't even know what it is. I don't know if it's like guys jumping over, um, you know, chasms and superpower. I don't know that. That there's a there's an hour of Red Bull something uh, on a lot of nights. And then to me, the most disheartening thing so far uh, is. I was very excited to see because it, it seemed like it had been a foregone conclusion that because the score is their is their radio partner mm-hmm. or, or their network and the score spent a whole shitload of money to beef up their studio so they can shoot video in it that we were going to get stuck with Mike Mulligan and David Hook in the morning and maybe even McNeil and Parkins in the afternoon because it's an easy way to kill... Uh, Hours. Six hours, yeah. But then they announced that they'd worked out a deal with uh, uh, Brent Musburger's Vegas gambling network, VEASAN, um, for the show called Follow the Money, which is on bright and early in the morning, and then simul- and then rebroadcast again. Uh, and I thought, okay, good. That means we don't have to worry about Mulligan and Haw, because God forbid, why would anybody want to watch that shit? But Follow the Money is on at noon, Right now on Marquee. And it's only an hour. They're only showing one hour of the three-hour thing. So it, it worries me that that's really where it, its home is going to be. And that we are going to get stuck with the other guys yelling at each other in the morning. Which just means I just won't watch it. Right. Which I don't think is what they want. I don't think they want well, people actively not watching their network because of their programming. At least they're supplementing it with the good stuff. I mean, I... You know, I, I hope YouTube TV picks up so I can watch the Cubs, but mostly I just need my George Mason basketball back in my life. Yeah, it's very exciting. It was, uh, I watched a couple of minutes of it and then went, what am I doing? Was Kaplan announcing or does he only do the, um, Missouri Valley Conference? Yeah, no, that's, that game would have been way too, way too high profile for Cap. Yeah. They wouldn't have put him on it. I want to see what's on right now. I'm pretty sure it's got to just be today's <laughs> game. Yeah, it's, it's the second of three re-airings of Royals and Cubs from did, earlier. Did they today. win today? I don't even know. They did eight to nothing. Oh wow! Oh, but guess what's on at ten o'clock? 
So you should you should get, you should pre- you should see if um, oh it's it's they've slightly changed the description again. Uh, Ten o'clock Wrigley moments is now what they're calling that that. Oh countdown. my god! <laughs> they just can't show it enough, but that's what's done. So anyway, that's Marquee, and hopefully it's going to get better. And then you and I were trying to figure out when the last podcast we did was, and I remembered that we took a week off. So the last time we did a podcast, Chris Bryant hadn't even arrived in camp yet. Yes. Uh, but now not only is he, he came to camp. Yep. And he showed like an actual personality and had by far his most intelligent press conference he's ever had, where he basically ripped the media for, um, saying that he would never re-sign with the Cubs. He said, I never said that. I like it here. He even said, we have it really good here. So in other words, if you pay me, I will stay. Then he got mad at them for reporting that he turned down a contract extension, which he claims he never did. Um, and then the next day, he showed up and said that he talked to Theo, and he's convinced he's not getting traded. And they said, well, you mean by July? He said, no, not at all. So he thinks he's in for the entire season, which we had talked about, and I think we all agreed. They, this team is, the division sucks. Mm-hmm. The Cubs are actually good. Yep. They should be in the pennant race all year. And Absolutely. if that's the case, then he shouldn't get traded. It should be, they have to revisit all this crap again in the offseason. But I think if something happens, they get a bunch of injuries again, and he's not one of them, because with our luck, he'll be one of the guys that gets hurt. Yep. Um, if they're not in it in July, chances are, if they don't trade him, it's not going to be for lack of trying. Right. Um, I think it's just, uh, as you said, Andy, his his interview, that was some of the most candid he's ever spoken, which yeah, is great. Yeah, it was great. Really good. I, I think it just underscores, uh, like, the – the Twitter world, I guess I would call it that we live in these days and everything just seems so far greater, like magnified in terms of importance than it actually is. It's like, no, you take a step back and what's actually going on here. And like, not everything is, you know, the end of the world as it's, as it seems every day. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it was, it was good to hear him say, I mean, you only, you only take that for what it's worth coming from the player's mouth, obviously, yeah. but still, I mean, it, you know, I at least appreciate it as a fan that it seems like, he genuinely likes Chicago to a certain degree and, you know, not obviously no worries about him like mailing it in or whatever, which would be in his worst interest in general, but yeah. it was positive. Yeah. I, um, he, I, I'm sure they try to trade him. Yes. I'm sure they actually, that was not bullshit. They actually, they solicited offers and they just didn't like what they got. And I think Theo looks at it as a realist and says, we're not going to get a better offer in, um, in February or March than we got in January. Mm-hmm. And once we get the season started, what sense does it make to trade him? Or we can trade him at any point. Um, the thing that they're still going to have to do, though, if they decide they want to get under the luxury tax, is they're going to trade somebody. Right. And it should never have been him. It never made any sense that you trade no. your best player <laughs> when you when you have a when you still have a good team. Um. So it could be, um, assuming that he didn't catch the coronavirus, it, it still could be Jose Quintana. 
yeah. um, who apparently was quarantined from the team for a while. That's always a good sign. Yeah. Um, but David Ross also apparently had the coronavirus. Thankfully, they survived. Good for them. It's yeah, it's it's a it's a early an early and much needed win for the uh, Cubs medical staff. It is funny though. My uh, my wife, who is um, a diehard Republican who hates Donald Trump, and so now has is horribly conflicted that she might have to vote for a Democrat for president. Um, has the thing she's been repeating about the coronavirus? She, she heard it on TV. Was that it's when the weather gets warm the virus can't survive. And I am not an immunologist, but I don't know that that seems like a thing. But apparently in his rambling press conference tonight, Trump gave that as a, we don't have to worry about it because it's almost summer, which it's not. It's uh, not even spring yet. And when it gets hot, it's going to kill the virus. So when she finds out that he repeated the thing she's been repeating, her head's going to explode. But, uh, oh God. but apparently, um, you know, it's, it seems... Apparently, it hasn't gotten to Mesa yet. They just had the good old-fashioned flu. Well, the the heat killed it, naturally. That's true. Yeah, and one got got up to 80 one day, and the coronavirus died. Yeah, all good. So, the um, the David Ross era, despite him missing the first three games, is underway. And I'm of the opinion, that might be a minority opinion, um... I do think that he's got a chance to, to actually be a good manager. Sure, why not? Um, I don't. It seemed dumb to me to just throw out the really good manager that they had, but yep, they did it. No matter what they say, we need a new attitude. We need whatever. They did it to save money, and that's what they did. Um, but one really encouraging thing to me is that he is he's doing something that even Joe seemed unwilling to do. And that is take the guy on his team who has the best skill set to lead off and he's leading him off regardless of the fact that, you know, always oh, a home run hitting, you know, power guy. You're not supposed to waste him at number one. And then when you look at the way Ross's lineup is so far, he's got, this is amazing in whatever he has his three best hitters batting one, two, three. You know, I'll never forget Andy. I'm not sure. I I know it was you. I'm not sure if you wrote it or if it was on the podcast or something. But somewhere along the line, over the last couple of years, you said something to the effect of like, "I can't wait for a manager to just take his best players yep. and line them up one two one through nine. One through nine. I I don't understand why. It to me, it's crazy that nobody has done it. Yeah. Um. It's as though somewhere I don't know. Did Joe McCarthy or somebody in the 20s and 30s decide? Okay, guys, here's how we build a lineup. Probably. We need a little speedy guy. He's going to bat first. Then we need somebody who's going to bunt. He needs to bat second. <laughs> then our best hitter, we're going to bat him third. And then our cleanup hitter, we're going to bat him fourth because if the other three guys get on, he hits a grand slam in the first inning. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing ever. And baseball has just blindly followed it for a hundred years. They just keep doing it the same way. Very baseball-esque of baseball. And I always just thought, just, just take your best hitter first. Just rank your hitters one through nine, and that's how you bat them. Because your best hitters are going to bat the most often. Right. And I was never felt I never felt so vindicated in my life as that clip that went uh, that went out on Twitter of Ken Rosenthal trying to explain to Harold Reynolds, Jesus Christ, what the Cubs were doing. And Harold, it was just he's a moron. He's always <laughs> been a moron. 
And he just, he proved it in that, that's like two and a half minutes long. It's like, if, 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 if somebody didn't know anything about Harold Reynolds, you just show them that clip and they get everything they need to know about it. That was just, it, his whole argument was that the top of the lineup was going to be too good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then uh, they don't have a deep enough lineup to do that. It's like, well, what does that even mean? And, um, and then Rosenthal asked, well, who would you lead off? And he didn't know. They had to put the lineup back up so he could read it. Because he's like, I don't even know who's on the team. Well, then how can, then A, how do you know they're not deep enough? And B, how do you, how do you know they don't have anybody better? Which they don't. And then another funny thing was, is so in the, in the very first spring training game, uh, Brian, he strikes out to, strikes out to lead yep. off the game. But he comes up to bat in the second, with runners at second and third. Somehow. Yes. Oh, no, the bottoming order can never get on base. They can never get in scoring. He's never going to hit with runners in scoring position. His first, his second at bat of the spring, he drives in two runs with a base set to left. Just poetic justice. That was beautiful. And then Harold was going on about, well, it's clearly the Cubs are forcing him to do this, whatever. He volunteered to do it. Yeah. When he met with Ross, he basically said, hey, do you want me to lead off? And Dave's like, yes, I do. Is that there's so much dumb in, you know, in all sports, but baseball and nobody clings to old, proven wrong things more tightly than baseball fans, it's and not even ridiculous. fans so much as the. It's it was always this way with Joe Morgan when he was on Sunday Night Baseball. Joe Morgan was the kind of player when he played that the sabermetrics guys drooled over. He had the exact skill set that they're always looking for. He drew a lot of walks. He hit for he he um, he got a decent amount of hits and a lot of them were for extra base hits. He was a good defensive player. All the little boxes that they checked. And when he, as an analyst, he didn't value any of the things he did. He thought walks were a waste of time. You know, oh, the guy's got to be up there, especially in the middle of the order. Oh no no, you're not paid to walk. You're paid to get a hit. No, you're paid to not make an out. Because right. if you don't make an out, the inning just keeps going. And if your team doesn't make any outs, guess what? You score all these runs. Right. Um, and there's just been so much of it. And then Harold is like a – he's a dumbed-down version of that because he's the kind of player who sabermetrics would look at and say he's worthless. He didn't walk. The only real skill he had was stealing bases, and he didn't do it – I guess a couple of seasons he did it at a pretty good rate. Mostly he didn't do it at a good enough rate that it was worth it. He was he was making more outs trying to steal bases than his value, so it kind of makes sense that he would be clueless about it. But it, that was what was so frustrating about Joe was that everything he was criticizing were were things that made him valuable. It was crazy. The leadoff thing, I think, at the end, of the, like I get the. The, the prototypical, you know, leadoff hitter. Like, if you have it, it's great. If you have, you know, 2016 Dexter Fowler, on-base percentage, contact guy, got some pop, got some speed. Like, if you have it, it's awesome. It's great. Got the table set or whatever. If you don't, there's no need to force it with 50 games of Albert Elmore, Daniel Descalzo, and whoever the hell else they tried last year. It's like, yeah, it was the tweet that was, you know, Joe Madden wasted how many – months trying to figure it out and Ross was on the job for three days and said, Hey, let's just put Chris Bryant there. It's not, it doesn't have to be this difficult. Well, and the other, the other thing that was absurd was they would in times of desperation, they would bat Rizzo lead off. Right. And it would work. And then inexplicably they would stop doing it. 
Yep. It's like, why did you stop? He's getting on base. He's scoring runs. But, uh, yeah, they didn't. It didn't make any sense. And when you when you lead off a guy like Descalso or Almora, it's not just that you start the game with one out, but how many rallies die because it rolls back around and it's like, oh, here's another out. You're just you're oh, yeah. giving too many at bats to a terrible player. Yeah, it's like sixty plate appearances over the course of a season or something like that. Yeah, I think it's at, at between fifty five and sixty. Yep. So I would certainly like to see Chris Bryant get 55 more at bats. Yeah, that, that wouldn't hurt. Um, it just it makes a lot of sense, and so I'm glad. He I did also it. I don't understand the maybe this is just me not being a major league baseball player, but I don't understand the whole thing about like the, the plate approach or the mindset of leading off. Like if you're Chris Bryant, aren't you just going up there and being Chris Bryant? Like at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't yeah, really get a, what changes. He had a he had, was he had a 381 on base last year. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just do that. Right. If you do the same thing, you're basically, that's basically what Dexter had in 2016. Yeah. Yeah, 382 last year. His career at on base average is 385. Whew. That'll work. Yeah. So, but, you know, if he, like, like Harold said, what if he's got uh, 10 homers and 15 RBIs? <laughs> well, like, wouldn't well that be what if he's. But what if he has scored 35 runs? You'd probably go, that's probably helping. <sighs> you know, my, that reminds me of one of my favorite Cubs stats from the rebuild era. I think it, I think it was Giovanni Soto. It must have been probably 2010 or 2011 or something like that. I think it was Gio. And it was some ridiculous number where he had like 25 home runs and like 38 RBIs yeah. or something crazy. <laughs> and he was hitting like fourth or fifth. Um, but in any case, yeah, Rick Wilkins had one really good year for the Cubs, and he had one of those. Let me see if I can find it quick here. He hit, yeah, it's not quite as bad as I thought, but he hit 30 homers, and he only drove in 73 runs. So he only <laughs> drove in 43 guys all year that weren't him. So that's not ideal, but yeah. That, oh, God. You do see that. So uh, speaking kind of of Albert, um, He's got a new swing now. Oh, he's back. So that all, all he needed was all he needed was a chance. According to Twitter, you know, I, 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 uh, I say nasty things about Albert a lot. But it's not like too. I don't want him to be good. Of course, I want him. To oh, be good. no, he's yeah, absolutely. I would love for him to just be, all of a sudden be good, and I'm like, all right, I get to shut up now, and I just get to enjoy it. Um, but for the longest time, he kept getting, um. He kept getting praise for things that we knew weren't great. And it mm-hmm. was, you know, when he's, was it two years ago he had the good first half? He's yeah. hitting like 285. But it was his yeah, on-base average was like 286. Yeah. And you're like, this is unsustainable. He just, you can't, he's not good enough. He's not going to get this many hits all year long. That's the only way he's generating any value is when he actually hits successfully Mm-hmm. He's got to mix in some walks, and uh, it just didn't. It just never happened. And then no. I, I even wrote at the even before he played his first game in the spring, and I said the thing we know what's going to happen is that he's going to go ape shit in the spring. Oh, he's yeah. going to hit like four thirty, and everybody's going to be like, "Oh, he's back," because the sp- spring training Albert Elmora would be an MVP because the pitchers are trying to throw strikes, right? 
Um, and he's really good at hitting strikes. Mm-hmm. But once you get into the regular season and you game plan for him, you don't have to throw him any. No. And he's still going to swing. And he's st- and, and even worse, he's going to hit the ball. But he's just oh, not going to be able to hit it hard yeah. because it's a terrible pitch. And he's going to hit those, you know, sad little grounders. Because he's not going to, he doesn't really strike out that much. No. Because he never gets to, he never sees a second strike. The first one he sees, he hits somewhere weakly, and then his at-bat's over. Yeah, the I mean, the whole swing change thing is great, but the the little of the game that I did see, courtesy of our friends on Reddit on Saturday, was I saw Amora's first at-bat. His first pitch was a middle-in, middle-middle fastball that he looks at. Second pitch was a fastball away that he swings and misses at, and then his, I think it was 0-2 he got to. Maybe there's a ball miss. In any case, he hit that kind of like bloop double to – right center, like not a particularly well hit ball, just found a good spot and ended up with a double RBA double, I think, or whatever it was. I think it's just like, ah, the approach, uh, just not good. And I mean, he had a big home run the other day that looked good, but I don't know, not sold. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure that his swing change has, there's a reason for it. Yeah. But that's, that doesn't address his biggest problem and that's pitch selection. Right. You know, he can have a he can have a smoother, quicker swing, and that's going to help a little bit. But if he's still mm-hmm. going to swing at shit that he shouldn't be swinging at, mm-hmm. the best swing in the world isn't going to help him. Right. And at some level, I don't know. I mean, I'm uh, not a scout. Noted. Um, at some level, I feel like pitch recognition is one of those things that you either have or you don't. So. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think it gets better when you're 26 or right or however old right. he is now. Uh, so then that. That kind of leads me to another one of my whipping boys. So Tyler Chatwood got um, got a start the other day, and I feel like we covered this last year that he had a better year last year than the year before. But it would have been almost impossible to have had a worse year. Than <laughs> Absolutely impossible. <laughs> and it really the reason that he had much better stats was um, he did throw more strikes. I give him credit for that, but. In his role out of the bullpen, when shit started to go bad, they could just take him out. Yeah, right. When he's a starting pitcher, they can't really do that. If mm-hmm. he loses it in the second inning, they're going to try to get him through it. Yeah. Um, and that's when things always seem to snowball on uh, Tyler. He, It's certainly his fifth, the fifth starter spot seems to be his to lose. I think yep. he can do it. I think he's Absolutely. up to it. I think he can lose it. Um, chances are he won't. And I just... I just have such a hard time watching him pitch. No, it's he. It, I mean, his stuff obviously is plus plus elite. You know, the spin rate, all that shit, and movement, everything. But he just looks like he's just trying to pump the shit out of the ball when he's pitching. It's just so like high energy, and I don't know. I mean, it just looks so frantic always. Yeah, and they and they made a big deal last year about they cut down some of the motion in his yeah in his windup, and he looked, and it was still like right. It was, know, yeah, it's like if your arm is that good and it is, then you don't need that shit to generate your arm speed and all the other stuff. So why do you do it? Yeah. How did he ever do it? I just It's amazing to me that, you know, I mean, you look at, well, the gold standard for me and everything, pitching-wise, is always going to be Greg Maddox. And Greg had, he had the simplest motion possible. Oh, yeah. He didn't even pull the, I mean, he didn't, you know, he barely pulled his arms up towards his head. <laughs> and the reason he did it was because he could repeat it. He could he could do it the same way every single time. Nope. And then he didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. He just worried about where he was going to try to put the ball. 
And then you get some of these crazy bastards that are look like they're going to fall off the mound and they're throwing themselves. It's, you know, it just seems to me that Tyler Chatwood can throw 95 if he's humping like that or if he's, you know, has a more a more repeatable delivery. And I'm sure that by the time you get to the big leagues, your pitching coach can tell you all you all he wants about you need to change this and change that. Mm-hmm. And muscle memory isn't going to let you do it. But it's just, I don't know how we ever think we're going to get anything sustained out of him, given the way he pitches. And I just I feel like the role he was in last year is the ideal role for him. Yeah. But I And we talked about it on this podcast before. Joe didn't seem to, for all of his genius as a manager, and I only say that somewhat facetiously, because Joe's a really smart guy who does mm-hmm. did creative stuff. Um. It really seemed like when you gave him Tyler Chatwood for the bullpen that that's a that's something he could have really made a meal out of. He could have figured out a role for Tyler, and he didn't really. He used him like a traditional long man. Yeah, he would go six or seven days without pitching because Joe was waiting for the fourteen inning game where he was going to need Tyler to pitch five innings. Yeah, and it's like no, you've got a guy who if your starter starts to starts to lose it in the fourth or fifth inning, you just take him out. And then Tyler comes in and pitches until the wheels start to fall off of him, and he might get you to the seventh, and then you, your bullpen isn't out of whack. Yeah. But Joe rarely used him like that. And we'll see if they're – they've got such a weird – I don't even want to say weird because they're very excited about these guys, but they've got all those kind of salvaged arms in the bullpen right now. Mm-hmm. And who knows what that thing's going to look like when they um, go north. Yeah, I, I mean, it could – shake out any uh manner of directions for sure and yeah i mean chatwood's you know they got i mean he he could have easily filled that kind of back end shutdown role as a reliever just based purely on his stuff i mean you never know when it's going to go haywire but i mean the the upside is certainly there for for that kind of that kind of position but i mean as a starter it's obviously a different story well it is funny because i think there's it's either he's going to be the fifth starter or Alec Mills is. Yep. And they couldn't be more opposite each other. No, no. I mean, Mills, I don't think he, I don't know that he can throw 90 miles an hour. And, not. Every, you know, he's right around the plate all the time. His whole thing is trying to get weak contact. And when he does it, it's really good. Yeah. And when he doesn't, it's batting practice. His tits lit up. Yep. Um, and then Tyler's the opposite. When he's good, he's dominating. You can't. You, you guys can't even get the bat on the ball. And then when he loses it, you know, Wilson is going to be. You know, he's going to be exhausted by the third inning, chasing balls <laughs> to the bricks. So Ross has talked about carrying three catchers, which I just think is. Oh God! They didn't add the extra roster spot so you could sit a Josh frickin' Fegley on the bench and never want to use him. But maybe they need him for Chatwood starts because they're gonna he'll wear out. You know, Wilson can only be able to go the first three innings, then he'll be exhausted. And then they can go to Victor, and then they might need to bring the third catcher in at the end. Maybe that's what he's thinking about. But yeah, it's like I, no, you're, you're twenty. Oh, sorry, your twenty-six man is supposed to be, you know. Some guy who, uh, some multi-positional guy, who you would, who you always wanted to carry, but it's like I don't know that we can justify carrying this guy. It's not a freaking third catcher. Maybe Ross just has it drilled into him from his first year, the 2015 season, when for different reasons they were hell bent on carrying three catchers out of the gate in spring training, which at the time I thought was one of the dumbest things in the world. Um, when it was it was Ross, uh, Montero, and Wellington. 
and three guys who not particularly versatile, I think safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> that was a 25 man roster too. And that, that was, I thought that was dumb in the moment. I mean, I'm sure there there's the tweets out there expressing that, but yeah, even now it's, it makes zero logical sense. Yeah. Unless well, the idea would be potentially to get, to have Wilson play more left field or whatever it is to well, keep his bat line up more without wearing him down as much. Yeah, and that's what Ross said. He's like, I've got two. I can I can pinch hit these guys then and not worry about running out of catchers, and I can play them at other spots. Well, okay, I kind of I kind of get that, but unless your roster is injury riddled, do you really want you really want Wilson playing left field instead of say Schwarber? Right, um, or the great Steven Souza. Oh yeah, and unless Rizzo's hurt, you really want Victor playing first base? No, that's the kind of thing that you know. I don't think it's going to be a problem getting Josh Fegley to Iowa. I can't imagine there's going to be a huge. So he can, you can just send him there, and then if something happens and you need him, you can bring him up. But it's, um, and I always forgot what year this was. I always thought it was fifteen, but it was sixteen. When um, bef- they were carrying three catchers, um, even before they brought Wilson up, they really? had um, 16. Tim uh, Fedorovich. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. He, uh... And they, they, they had him because somebody got hurt. I think it, it must have been Miggy. I don't remember. But so they called him up and then they were deathly afraid to send yeah, him down because they didn't right. think they'd get him through waivers. And he just sat there like a. You know, like Ralphie's little brother in a Christmas story, just you know, lay, like he was laying in the snow and couldn't get up. He was just he was holding a roster spot hostage. And didn't Joe didn't want not, to use him, and Theo did, was afraid did he to lose end him. Up on one of the like alleged steroid user lists at some point in his career. Am I making that up? Yeah, I don't know. If old T fed. <laughs> I gotta look this up now. But he played more games for the sixteen Cubs than I remembered. Yeah, but I do remember that once everybody was back, they were just like, "No, no, no! If we send him down, we're going to lose him." It's like well, I would take that risk. Yeah, he played. He played 17 games for the Cubs, and he was on the roster a lot longer than that. With a whopping, his OPS was 470. That's an OPS <laughs> plus of 24. Remember, kids, a hundred is league average. Yep. <sighs> so yeah, they they do some interesting things. Roster wise, and we talked last last podcast about how inept they were at managing the ten man disabled list with their pitchers. Oh God, yeah. Well, now they don't even have to worry about because it it's fifteen men. But um, the one th- the one big advantage they should have this year that they didn't have last year was last year they started the year with a bullpen that I don't think had anybody with options left. Yeah, and so they couldn't they couldn't even do the Iowa shuttle. Where this right. year, a bunch of guys that they claim to be counting on all have options. So they will be able to shuttle guys back and mm-hmm. forth um, and hopefully keep arms fresh. But Well, one of those arms, we know it's not going to be Brandon Morrow. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he is dead again. He has died. Yeah, the good news this time, they were like, well, but it's not his arm. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's his, his right chest. Text. It's like, isn't that connected? Isn't that connecting his arm to his torso? So it's I just kind of the same it. thing. I, I I just don't get it. He literally it was him throwing 
what was it like 17 pitches on a two consecutive days against the Mets in 20 in June of 2018. And he has literally been out of competition yeah. since then. Like, I mean, I'm sure he's trying hard to get back. I mean, I'm sure he's a good guy and all, but come on. Like what the hell? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was, if it was hot or who it was, but somebody was saying, maybe it was even Moro. The, they said the frustrating thing last year was, so he, they finally just his his arm hadn't bounced back from the year before, and he had a surgery. And they knew they were going to do. They did the more conservative of the two because it gave him a chance to pitch during the season. And he had the surgery, he did his rehab, and they said then he would throw, and he was amazing. Like everything's moving like it always did. He was hitting his spots, and they're like, "Oh, this could be great." And then the next day, he couldn't lift his arm above his, you know. He couldn't yeah. lift his arm off a freaking table, and then it would. They'd wait a few days, and his arm would feel better, and he'd throw, and it would be. He would be great, and then he couldn't do it again. But it was getting progressively worse. It was, and so then they had the more aggressive surgery, and he claims that it's that it finally fixed it, that he's all excited because this is going to be the year. And of course, he shows up for camp, and he immediately hurts something else. Naturally, but you know, because they said that's the you know the reason he's still trying to pitch is because when he's able to throw, he's still really good. The problem is <laughs> those days are uh, being f- they're few and far they're, uh, yeah. fewer and farther between. Oh yeah. So yeah, the games he pitched he was only supposed to he was never supposed to pitch more than 2 days in a row. And mm-hmm. um last in 2018. And Theo got all pissed at Joe because Joe pitched him 3 days in a row. But the reason Joe felt like he could do it was he pitched on May 31st at the Mets. He had to come in because somebody was trying to get us. Um, I I don't have the box score up. I just have his line thing. Somebody was trying to close it out and wasn't and was had gotten in trouble because Morrow came in in a game the Cubs won five to one, but he got the save. Okay, so the tying run was at least on deck. Yeah, he threw two pitches. Yep. He then pitched the next day. He got a normal save. He pitched an inning. He threw 17 pitches. Mm-hmm. And then we, I know we've talked about this before. The next day, he wasn't going to pitch. Yep. But it was, the game went on forever. Yep. They went, yep. It was tied one to one forever. The Cubs scored six runs yeah. in the top of the 14th. And they basically had run out of pitchers. In fact, I think they pinched it for who was the goober who used to, the long guy, Farrell. Yeah. Um, Luke Farrell had, you know, it was keeping them in it. And he threw 15 pitches. So in three days, he threw 34 pitches. And that was pretty much the end of him. His ERA all of a sudden went from .89 to um, the next time he pitched, he gave up two runs. Then eh, he didn't really do bad, but he, his, he was all of a sudden pitching very infrequently. He yeah. pitched... So he his the game against the Mets, the third game in a row, was June 2nd. He pitched on the 6th and the 7th, but then he didn't pitch again until the 16th. Then he didn't pitch again until the 28th. Then he made a bunch of um, decent appearances till July 15th, and then uh, we've never seen him again. The uh, the old 18-month DL after yeah. the... Uh, after the- Three month, three three games in a I row. I think he's just jealous that I tried to name the injured list after Kerry Wood and Mark Breyer. <laughs> yeah, he wants to stake his claim to it. Got to get, yeah, got to get his name on there. Um, so 
a familiar face showed up at camp today. That's right. Uh, the great uh, John Lackey. Who's Some not familiar here, teeth. Not here for a haircut, but yes. Not here is, for a haircut. Is there for uh, teeth bleaching and veneers or whatever he's got. Um, the only thing I can assume he's there to be, you know, a lot, sometimes in spring training, um, teams bring in former players. It's kind of like a morale coach, you know. Yeah. Be around, be cool with the guys, you know. John, I think, is an anti-morale coach. <laughs> he's there to berate everybody, make sure they don't get too comfortable, um, just yell at everybody. And Ross is convinced that's what they need. Oh, it's exactly what they need. <laughs> Oh God! But I, you know, I, there's probably a twenty percent chance that uh, he ends up being the fifth starter. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's yeah. He's he's probably got a better shot. Than he's well. Some of those he's very well rested now. Yeah. Very. He he is just coming off of the eighteen month disabled list. The I guess what would it be for him? Thirty six month disabled list, something like that. Yeah. When it he was. He pitched seventeen, the, right? Yeah, the clincher in seventeen, and then he had that he had that relief appearance. Yes. He gave up that walk off against the Dodgers. Yes, he did. Justin <laughs> Turner hit one that's still yep. going. Oh God. <sighs> um, so I was telling you that uh, Jim Bowden, uh, former uh, former general manager, yep. current uh, writer for he writes for the Athletic. Uh, which I'm supposed to still be writing for. Um, he writes for CBS uh, Sports, I think. So in The Athletic, he did a thing uh, earlier, I think it was earlier this week, maybe it was late last week, where he identified um, a um, oh a guy, one player who's a must-watch on every team. Ooh. And so I flipped down to see who his must-watch guy was for the Cubs, and it wasn't a bad choice. It was uh, Nico Horner. Okay. But the reason he was a must-watch made me laugh out loud. Jim Bowden said the Cubs need Nico Horner because they need to get younger. The Cubs, the team that of their uh, starting eight plus two different platoons, likely have two guys who are 30 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else is under 30, but there's a team that needs to get younger. It's like, Jim, I don't think so. Oh God. Um, and also he, he couldn't see it there, but he, I saw him on uh, Twitter. He was doing a live report from some camp and uh, he looks like he got his hair cut at a cat show. <laughs> I can't even describe what's going on with Jim Bowden's hair, but it's, it's not, it's not where it's supposed to be. Wor- worse than usual, I guess. So I did enjoy the, because uh, the Cubs need to get younger. Yeah, much younger. Now, if it had been a pitcher, except right, yeah, the then I'd be all for sense. Yeah, but... yeah. So maybe he, maybe he had originally put uh, Adbert, and then they made him change it at the last minute, and he forgot to change the first sentence. But uh, I don't think he did. So then the last thing on my list of stuff I want to talk about was I, uh, I just watched. Uh, there was a new Real Sports with Brian Gumble on last night, and I just watched it today. And uh, one of the stories was on a baseball player. And we can now include Bernard Goldberg in HBO among the growing list of people who are inexplicably taken with Trevor Bauer. Yep. 
and they always go on about how how smart he is and how he's whatever. And I, it, in every case, it seems to me that they are mistaking uh, intellect with him being an asshole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They are not the same thing. Right. Just because he's outspoken or whatever, that doesn't make him an intellectual. And I mean, they did the whole thing where his dad is a um, is a scientist who works for an oil company. And um, and they even did this ridiculous scene where his dad and Trevor are both sitting at the kitchen table with their laptops, and they're like they're like looking at um, <coughs> uh, Trevor's pitching motion uh, as captured by one of the uh, those magic pitching cameras that the Cubs yep. had bought a, a lot of, and he's like, "Well, what do you think? Should the uh, it looks like it should be a hundred? I don't know, maybe it's a one hundred four. It's like you know, whatever." Um, the thing about Bauer that, I mean, the thing I appreciate about him was that, uh, he pitched in, uh, three of the four Cubs wins in the world series. Yep. So uh, that to me, that, that makes it worth it. Absolutely. Uh, all the time. Um, but for a guy who, um, is so smart and who's revolutionizing the game with his approach, he really hasn't been that good. Yeah, fun fact here. In his eight-year career, he has had exactly one season with an ERA below four. And to the credit of real sports, the, um, at the end, you know, they do the thing where they go back to whoever the correspondent is, and and uh, Bryant is sitting there with his little notepad, and he always asks a few more questions. And Bryant said the same thing. He's like, "So this is a guy who for his career is barely over five hundred, and really has had one." season where he was in Cy Young contention, mm-hmm. does he acknowledge that that might be the outlier? That instead of, um, you know, he's so close to being this dominant pitcher that he's already had the one really good year he's going to have. And Bernard said, yeah, he acknowledges that, you know, maybe that is the one, only one good year he's ever really going to have. But I guess it really didn't, I mean, <sighs> Sports Illustrated wrote that thing about Trevor where he basically talked about um, his attitude towards uh, females and relationships and stuff. And it was just, it was icky. Yeah. Um, And I was like, well, he's a dick. Who cares? But then when he got traded to the Reds last year, Len spent a whole game going on and on about how fascinating it is to talk to Trevor Bauer. And I'm like, you need to talk to more people, I think. Right. Because if you're fascinated by that asshole, I don't know, you know, how I can help you. Yeah, I mean, I I do find some of like the driveline like pitching spin rate stuff like interesting, but he just comes across as such a douchebag, and yeah, it's a, it doesn't land for me personally. And yeah, I mean, he had he had a, a two two one ERA in Cy Young contention in twenty eighteen, and other than that, yeah, his career ERA is four oh four. So, I mean, I don't yeah. know, just a weird 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 guy to be a, a spokesperson for the modern uh, era of pitching. Well, and it is kind of perfect that he's a red. Um, yeah. Given that the Reds, you know, they've they've made all these moves the last since last trade deadline. You know, they had the trade for um they had the trade for him and then in the off season they've been busy and all that stuff. But they've just kind of cobbled together yeah. whoever they could get their hands on, regardless of whether they fit or not. And he's very likely to be a terrible fit for that park. Oh God, yeah. Because when he he had his ERA was six point 
almost 6.4. Yeah. For them last year in 10 starts. He was 2-1-5. He had one good start against the Cubs, though, I think. He did, yep, in August, yeah. Um, he gave up. Um, I think it was that Friday nighter. He, I mean, he said he had more strikeouts than innings pitched. He only had one more hit than innings pitched, and he didn't walk very many guys. But um, he gave up 12 homers in 10 starts. Yeah, that's a and lot. And that's where a great American can be bad news for him. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's uh, he's really something. Uh, let's see. Looking at my magic list, I don't think I uh, uh, had anything. Um, be, we touched on it, I think, a little bit last week. That'll be good for a season preview show down the road sometime about how I don't think I don't buy the Reds at all. But that's a another topic. Yeah, I don't buy the I don't buy the Reds and I don't buy the Brewers. No. And then I was happy to see the Cardinals really do nothing to get better. Yeah. In fact, get worse, which is nice. I appreciate yeah, that's that. That's good. That they did that. Oh yeah, the only other thing I had was the um you know, the Cubs have the supposed the battle at second base. Oh yeah. Um but the other day, maybe it was either Sunday or yesterday. I know it's spring training, it doesn't matter, but I really enjoyed their infield. It was <laughs> Yeah, I saw um, that. <laughs> it was Daniel Descalso at um at third, third wasn't it? Hernan Perez at short. Jesus Christ. Kipnis was at second, and so then who was left to play first? Um, Robel. Robel yes, Garcia. Robel Garcia. I didn't even know he played first and then base. Bode, that was a new one. And then Bodie was DH. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that um, – I, I I think Kipnis is going to make the team. I yeah, think I they, think he I don't will. think they signed him to cut him. It might end up being a Carlos Gonzalez thing where at some point they're like, yeah, he, he's done. Yeah. Um, I do have more. Op- I, I'm optimistic that he can at least be useful, especially yeah. the tune, and that um, that Nico is going to get. It's an. I think he's. He might as well already have uh, a uh, apartment rented in Des Moines. Yep. He's going to start the season there. Um. So I guess the question, really, of, of all that stuff, is going to be: Does Descalso even? Do they just cut him? God, I hope so. I mean, I hope they're, I'm sure their goal is, because he doesn't make that much. It's like two and a half million dollars. Yeah, yep. That he has at least a good enough spring that some other team is like, yeah, he's versatile. We'll take him. Because I don't think they want to take him north. No. Um, Nor should they. Because I'm sure the plan is to have Bodie and Kipnis split second base. Which could potentially not be the worst thing ever. No, it keeps Bodie away from, um, well, I'm trying to think now off the top of my head. If he really had that, if his splits were that big. He really had a, it's funny, he had a really good second half. Yeah. And we forget it partially because they they shipped him out um, to Iowa because they were running out of roster spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wasn't bad last year. He was, what we really remember is that the guy who was supposed to be the defensive whiz that they bring in late at games kept making errors at horrible yeah. spots late in games. And Kipnis just hasn't here. hit since the World Series. I think that foul ball probably ruined him forever. Yeah. He was so close to being a hero, at least according to some people. Um, let's see. 
Oh, that's right. Bodie's got the weird reverse. Yeah, I was looking at yeah. Where wow, he handled, yeah, so he, maybe he's not such a good platoon. Uh, right. He had 271, 384, 40 against righties, but 218, 311, and 372 against lefties, which makes yeah. zero sense. And it wasn't even like he was hitting in a bad luck. His uh, his BABIP was more than 60 points worse against lefties than against righties. Yeah. That's completely ass backwards. Well, maybe Kipnis has reverse splits, and then. Um, Ross can prove what a genius he is by doing a reverse platoon, which is another. Oh, thing it'll that... be like Joe never left. Yeah, that was the kind of stuff Joe did at Tampa. Oh um, yeah. In fact, I forget who they. He had a really good example of a guy. Everybody, the all nine of their fans were screaming and yelling, "What the hell are you playing that guy for?" And then if you looked at the stats, you're like, "Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense." You know, I actually do remember this now. This ties together Joe Bodie and. Uh, the marquee stuff uh, that th- that YouTube series that the Cubs put out last year of like um, those like ten minute clips of like specific deep dives they did like Ian Happ's season leading off home run or whatever they did uh, and one of them was Bodie's ultimate grand slam whatever the walk off against the Nationals and one of the things Joe said in there was um, who was it on the mound for the net was it uh, Matt Ryan Madsen yes and. It was uh, and Joe made some comment about oh like uh, he's a, like him and Bo like they're both being like reverse splits guys so it was like somehow a good matchup being righty and righty so I don't know I guess maybe it was that was the some of the last drops of magic yeah those um the breakdown thing that they do for YouTube are they're really good oh and yeah I'm. They but they don't really have very many of them. They have no. They have Bodies. They have Hayward's Grand Slam. That's right. They have David Ross's um, the home run off Andrew Miller. Yeah, the game seven. I think there's only one more. And it's like there's the Ian Hap. Yeah, that's right. Hap to lead off the lead season. Off, yeah. Um, it, and it's it's funny if you watch the YouTube channel. They don't they haven't put any. I don't think a lot of new content on it. But they had a lot of it for last year, and Hap was in. A lot of it. Yeah. And then he was gone because he didn't even make the roster yeah, right. the season. <laughs> they're very clearly were like, wait a minute, what? No, you can't sit him down. He's on all of our YouTube videos. <laughs> um, but I honestly thought that that maybe it will be. I'm still judging this network after five days, which isn't fair. Yeah. But, yeah, it's fun. That seems like that should be a show. Now, I don't know how often you could do it, but like if you two of those could easily be a half hour. Oh, you, well, and, they take the four you have, and you got you know an hour worth of content. Yeah, it just seems like it ought to be, um, you know, if if it's a show that's on once a month, that would be a cool thing to watch. Yeah. And the other thing we don't know, we're back to Marquee again. I guess we could finish up with this: is, um, how long the pre and post game shows are going to be? Because I think they're kind of following the Nesson model in Boston, because everything the Cubs can only do things that the Red Sox did. Um, and those things seem to be, there's like a pre pregame show and then a pregame show and they have different people on them. And Lord knows the Cubs have enough people. They could do that. And then it, I don't think they might even have two postgame shows. So now all of a sudden with a three and a half hour game, hopefully they're closer to three, you might have 90 minutes before and another 90 minutes after mm-hmm. And now you've got six and a half hours of content. And if you repeat that twice, that's more than half your day. Yeah. yeah. So they probably they're probably not going to need a lot of other 
stuff. But it just seems yeah. weird that they they launched this network. And I people say, what was a soft launch? Well, it's not a restaurant that you expect to go to the first week and have half the menu. You're paying what you're yeah. going to pay for this. And they've known about this network for 11 years, and they've yeah. been planning for it for nine. You would have thought they'd have had some stuff, but uh, but they didn't. Give them too much credit. All right. I think we've flogged the what little of the preseason we've seen. Yep. I'm sure we'll have the complaint box filled back up for next time. Yep. That's the good thing about the Cubs. There's always Absolutely. something to complain about. Um. But I will admit that you know it was an off season where I was like, um, I'm more more so dreading what they were going to do than being excited about any of it. And it was the least excited I've been for a spring training in a long time. Mm-hmm. And now they're back, and I'm like, you know, they could be pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. So I fall right exactly. back into the same trap. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to watch every game. They're you know they're going to be all right. That's what it's all about. <sighs> I hate to make back. I hate to make Tom Ricketts. I hate to prove his point because this, this is exactly what he wants, which yeah. is just yeah. be, we have to have a minimum standard of <laughs> being okay so that our fans don't bail on us. Right. And that's kind of where we are right now, which is like, yeah. ah, no, let's see. Maybe. All right. Well, thanks Kyle. Cool. Yep. Good stuff. Thanks Andy. Nice job. And we'll be back. I would guess, I think we're, you know, there's stuff, so we're probably yeah. on our back on our regular weekly thing. Um, I am going to have on early next week, either Monday or Tuesday, uh, Dave Brown is going to come on, and we're going to do an hour or so. Nice. Um, so that ought to be fun. He's uh, for people who don't follow him on Twitter, he is one of the funniest people on Twitter. So. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. Yes, it's at he's at Answer Dave because he used to okay. write the Answer Dave column for. Uh, Yahoo. And now he does a lot of different freelance nice. stuff. So that's who's going to be on. And then towards the end of the week, um, we'll be back to talk cub nonsense. So. Yeah. Are you, uh, have you done anything more with um, the uh, Yahoo guy, Kevin uh, Kadick or whatever? Well, he we just did that one. And then he, uh, now he's launched his newsletter. I did see that. The Midway Minute, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, I've been reading it. You know, it's a nice breezy, they can even, you know, he linked to something I wrote just to suck up to me, which is always good. Oh, um, good. Yeah, and then uh, it's basketball season. I got to get, uh, should have Kelly Dwyer back on, talk about the what the fuck is going on with the Bulls, and yeah. then we can talk about actual good teams too. So I got, I got plenty of people I can check back in with, so people can stay tuned. Cool. All right. Well, see you later, Kyle. Yep, sounds good. Talk to you later. All right.